I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the A to Z of David Bowie. I'm Mark Riley, and that colourful character is Rob Hughes. And we've got a special announcement, haven't we, Bob? We have, Mark. So, to start, thank you for taking so much interest in our journey through the life of David Bowie. It's a long and winding road. That's the Beatles, not Bowie, Bob. It's a long and winding road, but we don't look back in anger. Oasis? We look back in anger. That's more like it. Oh, shut up. Anyway, we've got some news for you. As you'll be aware, the A to Z of David Bowie is free to download. <laughs> Lunacy. But if you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things. And for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Why? So now you're thinking $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of great new exclusive material delivered to your door. Well, computer actually, Mark. Via a system called Patreon. That's right, Mark. Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Material such as... Interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends. There'll be regular film Bowie quizzes. Bowie guitar tutorials. Unreleased archive written material. Competitions. And perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Nock and Jason Reed. Visiting various Bowie places of interest. And much more besides. All this for just $5 a month. So if you can't resist, simply go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash cheap things, or one word, and join up. There's also a website, bowiecheapthings.com. Book early. R is for Rodney Bingenheimer. So Rodney Bingenheimer, born the 15th of December 1947, is an American radio DJ who was on the Los Angeles rock station KROQ. He joined Sirius XM's Little Stevens Underground Garage in July 2017. He is notable for helping numerous bands become successful in the American market. And he developed a reputation for being the first American DJ to identify new artists and play bands like Blondie, The Ramones, The Sex Pistols, The Cure, Blur, Nirvana, Sonic Youth, The Bangles, X, Germs and many others. Very influential indeed. He once managed an LA nightclub called Rodney Bingenheimer's English Disco in the early 70s and he was the subject of a documentary by the late filmmaker George Hickenlooper called Mayor of the Sunset Strip which told the story of a groupie turned kingmaker with a knack for making friends in the music industry. He's been described as a famous groupie now respectable by Mick Jagger and he's had numerous high profile friends. In 2007 he got his own star on Hollywood Boulevard. Quite right too. Bingenheimer was born 
born in Mountain View, California, to a starstruck mother who separated from Bingenheimer's father when he was only three years old. His father had wanted to be a celebrity. This is a crazy story. It is. Uh, but settled for attending celebrity golf events. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> That's naturally. Best thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, his mother was described as a relentless autograph hound. So this obsession with stardom and celebrity was passed down from his parents. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, One report suggested he had a lonely childhood since he often spent nights alone while his mum worked as a waitress. Another report suggested that the emerging rock music of the day became his home and a way for him to deal with the divorce of his uh, mum and dad. And he devoured fan magazines. In fact, he was obsessed with stars. When he was 16, his mother drove him to Southern California and dropped him off at the house of Connie Stevens. This is like a, a, a fairy tale, isn't it? Yeah. And instructed him to get the star's autograph. Then she left abruptly. Uh, that was the beginning of a six-year separation from his mother, and he was on his own in Los Angeles around the year 1963. It, it, it's brutal. It beggars belief, this story. I mean, story. It, it, she must have had issues. Yeah. Uh, patently. It's just an awful oh. thing. So when Bingenheimer arrived in Los Angeles, actor Sal Minio from Rebel Without Cause of course, dubbed him the mayor of Sunset Strip. He formed friends with pop stars of the day like The Birds and Sonny and Cher, for whom he was a live-in publicist. In his own words, Bingenheimer became the talk of the town because I had the perfect Brian Jones hairdo. Right, he auditioned for the Davy Jones part in The Monkeys. Uh, so did Charles Manson, didn't he? Yeah, he was there. Stephen Stills as well. Wow, OK. Well, he didn't get the part. He dressed like Davy Jones and had a similar haircut. And he later worked as a double or stand-in for Jones in The Monkeys episode, Prince and the Pauper. Rodney was described as shy, thin, unassuming, with a squeaky voice, uh, usually described as soft. One report suggested his voice was so soft, you have to lean in to hear it. His voice has also been described as tentative and not a vibrating personality or a great radio voice, but reflecting almost painful sincerity. All right, that makes sense. He was described as having a small womanish face and he's had the same haircut, shaggy with bangs, for most of his life. Actor Mackenzie Phillips reportedly called him a gnome. Bingenheimer had a certain resemblance to pop star Sonny Bono and Cher and Bingenheimer bonded. Sonny and Cher became almost surrogate parents to him, which you can understand, can't you? That's sweet. L- looking for somebody. Uh, he met Cher by going backstage after a concert and according to Bingenheimer, she looked at him and said, oh my God, you look just like Sonny. And they bonded and he went to work for them and uh, he said later, they just took care of me. I don't know if you follow Cher on Twitter. I don't follow her, no. She's brilliant. Is she really? She's well, so, we'll uh, do then. Well, right. you know, each to their own, but yeah. uh, p- politically, um, uh, yeah, kindred spirits, you would have to say. In a later interview, Rodney explained how many artists grew to like and trust him because of his sincerity, taste in music, and not being pushy. During these years, he was photographed near countless celebrities from the world of acting and music and Hollywood, including John Lennon and Yoko Ono, Mick Jagger, Adamant, the Beach Boys, and many others, almost like a real-life rock and roll Zelig, Zelig being the Woody Allen yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He integrated himself to many stars and got himself a job as a gopher for the monkeys and worked as a caterer at one point. He was doing all this stuff. Mm. He was also described as being a go-between, serving the needs of uh, young women and rock stars. So whenever he went in the music and club scene, his face uh, was his passport. He and Sonny Bono were reportedly asked to leave the Hollywood restaurant Martoni's because of their hippie appearance, which reportedly prompted uh, Bono to write the song Laugh At Me. So Rodney brought Beach Boy singer Brian Wilson to the recording session for Tina Turner's lead vocal on the Phil Spector classic River Deep Mountain High and he was ridiculed in a dialogue by the all-girl band, the GTOs, on their Frank Zappa-produced LP, Permanent Damage. I love the fact you stopped calling him Bingenheimer and now you're just calling him Rodney. I feel like he's an old friend, you know. I'm going to call him Rod. 
Go on then. In the late 60s, Rod was hired by Nick Vanette to do publicity for Linda Ronstadt's group, The Stone Ponies. But he became so disenchanted with the LA music scene during this time that he moved to the UK where he enjoyed the London nightclub scene with the help of his mate, David Bowie, more of which in a bit. Yeah, he discovered the nascent British glam rock scene and met other emerging stars such as Rod Stewart. Rodney brought many records in London. It was Bowie who suggested that Rodney return to Los Angeles and open a new music club. So he flew back and opened a nightclub initially called the E-Club on Sunset Strip. Outside there was the Union Jack and the club served British bangers and beer in a small VIP area which was roped off section near, just next to the dance floor. The decor consisted mainly of mirrored walls, brum brum, the dress of choice, feather the bowers, platform shoes, high drama makeup, and of course, glitter. After three months, the club outgrew its space and re-established itself down the street as Rodney Bingenheimer's English disco. The dance floor was packed, but the real action could be found in the VIP booth. So you'd have Led Zeppelin, Andy Warhol, Susie Quattro, Alice Cooper, New York Dolls, The Kinks, or Mark Bolan, all sort of holding court while drinking imported ale. At one point, I love this, Elvis Presley dropped in for uh, pints of Watney's Ale, if you remember that from the early 70s. <laughs> Amazing. The English disco also featured occasional live performances, including a appearances by the New York Dolls and the Stooges in 1973 and Iggy Pop staged this infamous concert on the 11th of August 1974 during which he performed an improvised play called Murder of the Virgin in which he was whipped by guitarist Ron Ashton who was dressed in a Nazi uniform and which climaxed with Iggy repeatedly slashing his chest with a knife. That is notorious the photographs from that are grim aren't they? Mm. When the club closed in 1975 and before he started on uh, working on the radio station K-Rock, Bingenheimer made extra money by selling his Beatles memory to David Daniel, a friend from his nightclub. Binghamheimer briefly resurrected the English disco in the early 2000s. The Los Angeles-based punk new wave group, the Von Steins, performed at the grand reopening. His radio show, Rodney on the Rock, began in August 1976 and ended in June 2017. The show featured the latest punk and new wave and glam releases from London and New York. And, quote, anybody brave or stupid enough to put out a record in Los Angeles. Right, uh, Rodney said later, I was always anti-eagles, anti-beards. Within a few months, I was playing four solid hours of punk. Uh, Bingenheimer developed a reputation in LA for being a kingmaker for new artists. One reporter wrote, if you make it onto K-Rock in America, you've made it in America. This is the house that Rodney built in which corporate radio has spread like spores across the nation. So Rodders was also responsible for the three Rodney on the Rock compilation albums, as well as a compendium, the best of Rodders on the Rock on Posh Boy Records. In an interview on the 29th of June 2017, talking about why his show was cancelled earlier, he mentioned that, I have no idea. They have new owners. They're going through a lot of changes right now, so it's a shame, isn't it? It's so influential. Yeah, describing his life and career, the Boston Globe said he is perpetually, exclusively and proudly with the band. But at what cost? His associations with the famous have not made him rich. His friendships with the rich have not made him famous. And arriving at the end of middle age with his mother and, from what I can gather, his best friend recently deceased, he's a figure of incredible loneliness. So, uh, yeah, apparently his singer Courtney Love claimed that she at one point stalked him. Yeah, in Mayor of the Sunset Strip, director Hickenlooper examined Bingenheimer's life in a documentary format, as mentioned. According to one account, Rodney was described as intensely private and was nervous about the documentary project, uh, which uh, took place, well, it's filmed over a six-year period. 
There was some really strange bits in there when he goes yeah. back to his mum's house and all that. And oh, he's looking yeah. at the photographs. Yeah. It's a heartbreaker, but it is, it's an amazing documentary. It is. You know, you, people should watch it, definitely. And the movie suggests that Rodders had had sex with scores of women. <laughs> you don't mind me calling him Rodders, do you? <laughs> no, not at all. I love it. <laughs> had had sex with scores of women during his earlier days, but those relationships didn't form into lasting attachments with any particular woman. He has never married, but apparently still holds on to the possibility that he'll find a woman who has the ideal 90 1960s vision in plastic miniskirt, Mary Quant lashes, and ropes of bullion fringe. That's in his own words, isn't it? Yeah. So he's made various sort of cultural appearances. For example, he played the backside and the over-the-shoulder shots of both of the uh, Davy Jones characters in the Prince and the Pauper episode of the Monkeys, as mentioned earlier. He was briefly a member of the Chocolate Watch Band and played only at one gig at the San Jose State Fair. I didn't know that. He's shown in the crowd of a 1967 LA Lovin' in the uh, documentary You Are What You Eat. He contributed to Kim Fowler's 1968 album Good Clean Fun he was a mate of Fowley's wasn't he he was yeah he was an extra in Paint Your Wagon wow great uh, he also made a brief cameo appearance in the Cheech and Chong film Up in Smoke released in 1978 Bingham was seen driving the Ramones pink Cadillac in the film Rock and Roll High School and provided the hand clapping in the return of Jackie and Judy on End of the Century the album Okay, as a token of their appreciation for his promotion of the band, the members of Blondie served as Bingenheimer's backing band in a limited release single of Little GTO, credited as Rodney and the Brunettes. He also had a cameo role as a nightclub owner in the Alex Cox film Repo Man in 84. He also had a booth named after him in Cantrell's Deli in Los Angeles, which was dedicated to him by Nancy Sinatra. He's full of uh, famous mates. Oh, yeah. And you know you've really made it when you managed to get on SpongeBob SquarePants because he's the voice of the radio DJ in uh, Crabborg. Really? Okay. He was played by Kia O'Donnell in the 2010 biopic The Runaways. Bingenheimer recorded a single called I Hate the 90s and did spoken word vocals with Sonic Youth Thurston Moore and Hall's Eric Arlanson and cut singles with Lita Ford and Blondie with the single Little GTO, as you just mentioned. Okay, so let's get on to the Bowie connection. That's what we all want. Uh, Bingenheimer worked as West Coast publicist at Mercury Records in 1971. He met Bowie straight off the plane in Los Angeles in February 71 and took him out to a restaurant that night. Bowie was refused entry because he was wearing his Mr. Fish dress. We've documented this, haven't we? Yeah. He also said the girls didn't like David. Maybe it was because he wore a dress. Oh, what's not to like? Bingenheimer was with him when they went to the home of Hollywood attorney Paul Fegan, where Bowie sat cross-legged on the floor and played some songs. His version of All the Mad Men was played on Bingenheimer's radio show in the early 90s. That was where uh, a lot of people just weren't bothered, weren't they? they didn't, obviously, he didn't know who he was, and so they just stopped paying attention, and Bowie got up and mingled. I think, that is a, I think there's a photograph of him sat cross-legged doing that that song in that particular instance, isn't there? Yeah, it was also during this visit that Bowie explained the concept of Ziggy Stardust to Rodders while writing the lyrics to the title song. Bingenheimer also took him to various LA radio stations in his convertible Cadillac. When Bowie was recording Hunky Dory at Trident Studios in July 1971, Bingo flew over with his girlfriend Melanie McDonald and hung out at the sessions. Bowie's manager Tony DeFries had taken a shine to McDonald and encouraged her and Rodney to hang out as much as he liked. DeFries went on to marry McDonald who gave birth to their daughter, Fleur. Mm, uh, more of which in a bit, actually. So uh, Bingenheimer also hung out at rehearsals near Victoria's train station. So if you look in Kevin Can's book, there's a great shot that he took of Bowie, McRonson and Woody Woodmancy in those rehearsals. Yeah, in August 1971, Melody Maker ran a profile of her bingo. Uh, the day he enters the MM office, Melody Maker, carrying a Davy Bowie album and a briefcase of sepia-tinted close-ups of the above Bingo is wearing shiny silver pants and an emerald and silver shirt. Davy Bowie is English and he likes him a lot. 
In the interview, Bingo said of Bowie's appearance in the US wearing his man dress. My, were they surprised when he walked in with these clothes on. They just couldn't believe it. But that's really him. I don't think it's a gimmick. Uh, You know, he really digs Andy Warhol and the Velvet Underground, Iggy and the Stooges and Kim Fowley. It's really strange here. They hardly look when he walks down the street. Bowie and Bingenheimer had a conversation in the summer of 1971 about the new music that was coming out of the UK. He gave Rodney the idea to start his own club in Los Angeles. That's so pivotal in his life, a great thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So talking to V magazine in 2012, Bingenheimer said that Bowie sort of gave me the idea for the club, the English disco. It was basically a David Bowie cathedral. It was all about London and had posters and flyers and memorabilia of David Bowie and stuff. Then I was helping him shop a record deal and we first went to Liberty uh, United Artists Records, actually. And then when that didn't work out, I knew the people at RCA. So I kind of put in a word for him, along with my partner at the club, Tom Ayres. So, I mean, it has been portrayed at certain points that um, it was Tony DeFee's idea about taking him to RCA. Mm. Might have been uh, on the premise that Elvis Presley was, a, you know, yeah. the king of rock and roll and Davy Bowie was going to be the new king of rock and roll. Therefore, we'll go to RCA. But yeah. uh, maybe it was down to uh, bingo. Yeah, possibly. I mean, in reality, there were five or six labels they were looking at, weren't there? Yeah. yeah. Um, Kim Fowley, remarked later. Now, Kim Fowley, as we know, lots of dark, dark chapters in his life, but we won't go into that. But this is what he said. In 1972, David Bowie was Jesus Christ and Rodney's English disco was the Sistine Chapel. Bowie later told Q magazine, alone in LA, Rodney seemed like an island of English nowness. He even knew British singles and bands that I wasn't aware of. Rodney single-handedly cut a path through the treacle of the 60s, allowing all us avants to parade our sounds of tomorrow, dressed in our clothes of derision. What a great quote. Now then, when Mayor of Sunset Strip came out in 2003 at the premiere, I I uh, went down to London to interview George Hickenlooper, the director, sadly no longer with us, and Rodney Bingenheimer. And he just, it was really interesting because I'd read so much about him and obviously I'd seen the film. And uh, sitting next to him, I think Tom Sheehan was there as well, the photographer. Hello, Tom. Hi, Tom. And we were both sort of transfixed by this character because Hickenlooper, as you'd expect, he was, uh, you know, he's got a big bear of a man and he was a great talker and he was just very interesting. Rodney was just so quiet, very kind of meek. I remember he just kind of sat on this side of me, on the left-hand side. And when I did the interview with him, it was some points, you know, trying to get blood out of a stone. It was right. difficult. And he looked youthful in a way because he still had the little Rod Stewart feather cut, you know, but he was kind of an old wrinkly man, right. you know, almost like a man-child. It was the strangest thing. Hickenlooper was brilliant. Well, he's got, tiny, like, isn't he? Well, he's a small guy, yeah. yeah. And obviously he dies it kind of, I think it was kind of like a... a darkish brown at that point you know right and we got talking i think rodney might have gone out the room by the time i was talking to hickenlooper and i just said you know what was the allure why did you want to make it devote six years of your life to making a documentary about this guy a lot of people don't really know not even aware of and he said there's just something fascinating about him and a little bit tragic you know somebody who's chasing celebrity so so much and has devoted his life to either being a star or wanted to be almost having this stardom kind of um, rubbed off on him. And he likened it to a great book. There's a great book by Ralph Ellison called The Invisible Man, obviously not the H.G. Wells thing, which is, uh, you know, quite a powerful study of racism in the post-war era in America. And the, the black protagonist of this book spends his nights living under these, uh, like a sort of like a big cube of uh, light bulbs. And he made this allegory with Rodney to that, in that, you know, he's so desperate for fame that he wants this wants to bask in this glow. Right. So wherever he can find fame he will go and he will just be there just so he can have a bit of it for himself it was a kind of really strange way of putting it but i knew exactly what he meant reflecting glory isn't yeah, it? that's exactly what it was you know i mean the thing is if you you do look at there are photographs of like as you say lots of and, it, and it, we mentioned it earlier and we've we've got this uh, research from elsewhere mm. and it did say quite pointedly and there are lots of photographs with famous people with rodney in the background yeah and you the, know the, you can imagine him kind of <laughs> almost like photo bombing it's a bit like yeah you know but he knew well, these people and they did. liked him he did and he, i think 
there's a bit in the film, isn't it, where he's, he takes the camera crew round his flat in uh, in Los Angeles, in Hollywood. Um, there are pictures. The, the walls are just festooned with these pictures. Oh, yeah, there's me and Elvis, me and Frank Sinatra. You know, they're everywhere. It wasn't just like, it wasn't just bullshit, this stuff. He really did. He well, did know him, and people did like these people, people like you know. Him, yeah. So um, about a year after this, I was getting, I was talking to Bingham on the phone, and the weird thing was, well, I've interviewed him a few times, and I'm not sure if he even got email. He might have it now, but certainly back then, you know, in the early noughties, he didn't have it. But what was weird was, whatever time of the day I phoned up, he'd always be in. Right. Yeah, he'd just be there, you know, and be ready to chat. And we talked about all sorts of stuff, like Led Zeppelin and all sorts. So um, I phoned him up and he said, uh, of Bowie, he said, in early 1971, I was working for Mercury Records and ended up taking Bowie around Hollywood and LA when he came over to the States. And we stayed at my mate Tom Ayer's house for a while. One night he said Gene Vincent was there too and Bowie was writing the lyrics for Hang On To Yourself and talking about the Ziggy character. He was talking about taking it to a stage play or something like that. Uh, I think it was all a bit of a culture shock for Bowie. His mind was blown. Everything was just so big and so bright. Uh, it continues, but it was a culture shock for other people people too because he was wearing a dress it was the same one he wore on the uh, man who sold the world cover i took him to parties and radio stations uh, one was at diane bennett's house and warhol acolyte ultraviolet was there in a milk bath naturally <laughs> he carried on he said bowie sat on the bed and played stuff from hunky dory and the ziggy album on acoustic guitar there were rock writers there like john mendelson and they all loved it and the girls loved him too uh, i'd take him to record stores on hollywood boulevard that specialized in english imports and i'd take him to see friends of mine just unannounced funny he's taking him over to record shops in la to buy english records yeah anyway. in london he continued my girlfriend melanie mcdonald and i went to the recording sessions for hunky dory and then bowie took us to see pork at the roundhouse around that time melanie and i were ready to get married then bowie's manager tony defreeze who take us out to dinner every night eloped with her and ended up getting married so i lost my girlfriend to davy bowie's manager that's uh, oh, that, sad it's so poignant that uh, in the meantime he carried on i was staying at ealing broadway and we'd go to to the Cellar Club where they played this amazing music by Slade and T-Rex. That was where Bowie gave me the idea for doing that nightclub in LA, which became Rodney's English Disco. And he came to the opening as Ziggy Stardust. I always loved the glam stuff like Gene Genie and Rebel Rebel. And when I had the club, he'd send me acetates and test pressings of all those songs. Wow. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
the A to Z of David Bowie, with Mark Riley and Rob Hughes. R is for Rose, Biff Rose. Now, Paul Biff Rose, born 1937, an American comedian and singer-songwriter. Born in New Orleans, he played piano and bluegrass banjo on the late 50s New Orleans folk scene. He moved to Hollywood in the mid-60s, where he found a job as a comedy sketch writer with George Carlin, working sometimes on the Mort Saul show. Eventually, he focused his attention on songwriting. Rose recorded his first two albums for Tetragrammaton Records. Following the release of the 1968 album The Thorn in Mrs. Rose's Side, a satirical collage of wonky Tim Pan Alley, honky tonk and folk blues, Rose made a string of appearances on Johnny Carson's The Tonight Show from 1968 to 1970. He also performed on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, doing Gentle People and Myrtle's Pies, American <laughs> Bandstand, The David Frost Show and Hugh Hefner's Playboy After Dark. He emceed the Atlantic City Pop Festival in 1969, and a year later, the Atlanta Pop Festival. All right, so a lot of stuff there. The song Fill Your Heart, one of Rose's best-known compositions, was adopted by Tiny Tim as the B-side of his 1968 hit Tiptoe Through the Tulips before the release of Biff's own version. And of course, and this is why we're here, Mark, Fill Your Heart was recorded by Bowie on Hunky Dory in an arrangement that didn't really differ much from the Rose's version. It didn't, no. Rose wrote the song with Paul Williams, who later said that Rose was his first songwriting collaborator and his first connection with A. A&M Records, having arranged a meeting for him with the publisher Chuck Kay. Rose and Williams also wrote I'll Walk Away for Rose's third album and Someday, recorded by Sajid Khan in 1969. Rose's songs have also been covered by John Denver, Vetiver and Pat Boone. Vetiver? Okay, yeah. I've had in session. Uh, after Rose's 12th appearance on the Johnny Carson show, during which he courted controversy with Jesus and Mary Magdalene, he was never invited back. With commercial success hardly likely, Rose sank into exile after 1978's 10th LP, The Messiah Album. Uh, he re-emerged in the mid-90s with Bone Again. Now, according to Wikipedia here, songs from Rose's first album, The Thorn in Mrs. Rose's Side, strongly influenced Bowie's early work, particularly Hunky Dory. When asked about his involvement with Bowie and Hunky Dory, Rick Waitman stated in an interview... Bowie played me some tracks by Biff Rose too, and I remember going out and getting a Biff Rose album myself as he had obviously influenced David and I wanted to involve myself in David's influences in order to give my very best for Hunky Dory's music. Now, in another interview from 2010 with the Metal Discovery website, Wakeman discusses artists' influences on each other and he said, David Bowie's hero vocally was Biff Rose. I'd never heard of Biff Rose, but I found all of his stuff. This is in Bowie's words here. Biff Rose is reflected a lot in the style of songwriting on Hunky Dory. So on the back sleeve of Hunky Dory, next to Fill Your Heart, Bowie wrote, Mick and I agree that Fill Your Heart arrangement owes one hell of a lot to Arthur G. Wright and his prototype. Arthur G. Wright was the arranger of The Thorn in Mrs. Rose's Side. Yeah. Now, during Bowie's first promo trip to Los Angeles in 1971, he went to see Biff Rose performing live. Rose turned up late, apparently, and impressed Bowie by going into a rambling story about how he got to the venue. Right, improv and all that stuff. Fill Your Heart was part of Bowie's live set as early as January 1970 when he played it at the uh, Speakeasy in London on his 23rd birthday. When he was putting together the final track listing for Hunky Dory, Bowie decided to take out Bombers in order to accommodate Fill Your Heart, and it was later included in the soundtrack to 1993's BBC serial The Buddha of Suburbia. As a postscript to all this, which is uh, slightly comical, Kevin Can in his book, he mentioned that Rose visited London in 1983 with the intention of meeting Bowie, unaware that he no longer lived there. So is he just going to wander around and yeah, just knock on doors, maybe? Well, it's worth a try, isn't it? 
Now then, uh, I did interview Biff Rose in 2005. I'd sort of forgotten about this and it wasn't a, a particularly smooth interview. It's a strange character. I think right. he kind of really shot himself in the foot as regard his own career. You know, he just did daft stuff on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. And he just seems to be one of these sort of mercurial characters. You know, they weren't really meant to be a mainstream pop star in any kind of fashion. He seems pretty off kilter, doesn't he? And also, I mean, it, the, the funny kind of extremes that we're looking at here is a, a songwriter and vocalist at Bowie, obviously really yeah. rated and really, really admired and emulated. And But he was also just a madcap comedian going on all of these TV programmes, massive TV programmes, yeah. in Smothers Brothers was ginormous, yeah. wasn't he? You'd think he could have been huge. Well, like you say, was he a comedian? Was he a musician? He was a bit of both. And Tiny Tim kind of falls into the same Definitely. category, doesn't he? And Bowie was big on Tiny Tim as well, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, legendary Stardust Cowboy. Same sort of, they're outliers, aren't they? It's outsider music. Yeah. I should set this up, by the way, this interview with him. I know that Bowie called him a flower power Randy Newman. And Bowie, as we know, also covered Rose's Buzz the Fuzz in his live set around 1971. So this is what Biff Rose said. I'm homeless from New Orleans thanks to Hurricane Katrina. That's the highlights. He was currently working on the insertion of a poetic romp for my hip-hop Jimmy Was a Field Hand. So all this weird stuff going on in his life, you yeah. know? He still remembered Bowie. He said, I met him in February 1973 when I was opening for Bruce Springsteen at Max's Kansas City in New York City. Bowie was beaming. I thanked him for doing Fill Your Heart, but got on his ass for copying the whole arrangement. So he would have made money out of it. Obviously, he would have made more money out of that than probably his own record. So um, deal with it. The A to Z of David Bowie with Mark Riley and Rob Hughes. R is for RCA. Okay, the record label. So let's give a quick overview, shall we? American label owned by Sony Music, a subsidiary of the Sony Corporation of America. It's released multiple genres of music, including pop, classical, rock, hip-hop, electronic, R&B, jazz, blues, country, you name it. Its name is derived from the initials of its defunct parent company, the Radio Corporation of America. Founded in 1929, it's the second oldest record label in American history after its sister label, Columbia. Artists currently signed to RCA, you've got Britney Spears on there, Justin Timberlake, Alicia Keys, Buddy Guy and Pitbull. Don't forget Kings of Leon, mate. Oh, can't forget them. Good Lord. So the Bowie connection. Tony DeFries flew to the States in August 1971, armed with a promo disc of songs recorded by Bowie and Donna Gillespie, scouting for a new label. Amongst those interested in signing Bowie were CBS, Columbia, Bell, United Artists and RCA. DeFries was particularly interested in RCA, largely because of its long-standing reputation and the fact that it was Elvis Presley's label. But it wasn't the hippest label either, was it, at that time? Definitely no, not. Um, no, I mean, Elvis wasn't the hip either at no. that point in time. He was, he was, you know, massive, but yeah. he, he certainly wasn't massive with the kids. No, certainly not. So Bowie had initially received an offer from United Artists in August 71 to the point where contracts had been drawn up, but they were gazumped at the last minute by a bigger offer from RCA's new executive, Dennis Katz, who'd been brought in specifically to freshen up the label's ageing roster with new talent. So Tony DeFries received a telegram shortly after from US lawyer Norman Kurtz, confirming that Bowie was no longer tied to Mercury Records. It reads, Having confirmed with Steinberg the release of Davy Bowie on the payment of $17,843, return of all masters and artwork, and I'm forwarding him cable to that effect. Also confirmed RCA deal. Congratulations, you're all out of hell, reaching for heaven. Well, depends where you're standing, I suppose. Mm. Uh, Bowie flew to New York in September 71 to sign the contract with RCA, joined by Angie Bowie, Mick Ronson, Tony DeFries, and his associate Don Hunter. And they all stayed at the same hotel, incidentally, the Warwick on West 54th 
North Street where the Beatles had stayed when they played Shea Stadium in 65. Bowie's initial RCA contract stipulated that he makes three albums over a two-year period with an advance of $37,500 per album. His royalty rate is 11%. RCA held a reception for Bowie at the Ginger Man on East 36th Street where Lou Reed was one of the invited guests. RCA's creative director at the time, Kurt Brockor, recalled to GQ years later, it was a chaotic period. We worked with Elvis and Waylon Jennings, Nina Simone and Lou Reed, nearly every artist in every division, rock, pop, country, classical, who released an album or single needed a trade ad in Billboard or a radio commercial or sometimes a poster or gimmick tucked inside an album sleeve. The workload was furious. He carried on. He said, all I knew about Bowie when he walked into our first advertising and promotion meeting was that he'd studied mime with Marcel Marceau and had a son named Zowie. I'd listened to acetates of Hunky Dory and was dubious about his prospects, he Mm. says. Uh, Our meeting was held at RCA headquarters at 43rd and 6th in a conference room. I've got no recollection of what Bowie was wearing, but I do remember the overall impression he made. He wasn't flamboyant or bizarrely dressed and he wasn't loud or brash. He struck me as just another busker. Ooh, get Ooh. you. The meeting began, and after a few pleasantries, and it doesn't sound like he was many pleasantries flying about there, does it? I told him with a smile that his prime prospects were likely to be gay boys in the village and fashion plates on the Upper East Side. Oh. Ooh, dear. Uh, he smiled back and said quietly, no, no, no. He had his own plan in mind. With this album, he was targeting a mass audience of teens and up. Not only that, he was ready to record his first radio commercial that he'd written himself, introducing himself, confident it would build up awareness and recall through Repetition. I was staggered. No matter how confident he was, his plan seemed silly. What had I got myself into? It's interesting, all this doubt, isn't it? Yeah. He carries on, but then, he says, I listened to the commercial, and it was brilliant. It started with the best hooks from the LP, followed with David in a rapid-fire laughing voice. My name is David Bowie. 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 My new album is Hunky Dory, and it's on RCA Records and Tapes. How hardball simple can you get? I'd love to hear that. Uh, I quickly assigned my first hire and senior copywriter, Patricia Kinali, as Bowie's go-to creative contact. Patricia had been editor of Jazz and Pop, a well-regarded music magazine, and was Jim Morrison's lover. Kinali had an all-access pass to everything going on in New York in rock music. She was not only a superb writer and editor, but the consummate industry insider. She and Bowie ultimately developed a strong creative partnership, and she was particularly good at providing a buffer between Bowie and the corporate suits at RCA. And he carries on, he says, most pop and rock recording artists at the time didn't have a clue how to position themselves, but Bowie was different. He'd studied design, layout and typography in England and quickly took a commanding lead in shape-shifting the advertising for his albums to match his own evolving persona. Uh, Bowie had the chops and he had the plan, Keneally Morrison has written. He knew all about making a personal brand for himself long before it was even thought of by other artists and he accomplished it brilliantly. That's typical Bowie, isn't it? Having a clear idea of what he wanted to do and just executing it just like Uh, ruthlessly. Yeah, and being surrounded by all these doubters but still having the confidence to do it. According to Bill Board in 2016, DeFries negotiated the singer's 1970s RCA deal so that the two would own the recording copyrights, a provision almost unheard of at the time. At the time, no one knew how valuable the rights to recordings would become or how important Bowie's would be. According to Billboard estimates, his recordings and publishing rights are now worth about $100 million. Yeah, in 1983, after his deal with RCA expired, Bowie signed a global contract with EMI for a reported $17.5 million that covered his new recordings. 
So that's it for this episode of the A to Z of David Bowie. But once again, before you go... If you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things. And for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Right. So now you're thinking, $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of great new exclusive material delivered to your door. Well, computer, actually, Mark. Via a system called Patreon. That's right. Mark, Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Materials such as... Interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends. There'll be regular filmed Bowie quizzes. Bowie guitar tutorials. Unreleased archive written material. Competitions. And perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Nock and Jason Reed Visiting various Bowie places of interest. And much more besides. All this for just $5 a month month. So if you can't resist, simply go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash cheap things, or one word, and join up. There's also a website, bowiecheapthings.com. Book early. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.